0: You're right in D.C. with Gail Trotter.
1: This is Gail Trotter, host of Right in D.C. Today our guest is Hans von Spakowski, and I'm so happy to introduce him to you today. He's a good friend, he's a fellow lawyer, and he's a fellow UVA parent. What about those Whos in the Final Four, Hans?
0: (laughs) Yeah, we were all very excited watching that uh, game, getting him into the Final Four.
1: We're gonna to talk today about one of my favorite topics, Supreme Court cases and politics. Uh, just to give you a little background on Hans and why he's an expert able to discuss this in great detail and also in a way that makes it easy for people to understand, Hans is a senior legal fellow at the Heritage Foundation. He's a former FEC commissioner and a former Department of Justice lawyer. Hans, thank you so much for joining us today.
0: Gail, thanks for having me on.
1: You recently wrote a piece talking about these two these two state cases that are before the uh, the Supreme Court on gerrymandering, and I thought we could start our discussion just talking about what gerrymandering is. I think a lot of people are familiar with the term. It's a very common term, but we might not understand exactly what it means in this context.
0: Well, gerrymandering is the term given to the drawing of the boundaries of legislative districts, you know, state legislative districts, con- congressional districts, you know, in a way to give advantage uh, often to one political party or another or for other reasons. And and it the name comes from a uh, former Massachusetts governor, Eldridge Gerry who gave his name to a map drawing in 1812 for a state senate district in Massachusetts that looked like a salamander. So they took his last name, Jerry, combined it with Mander, and they come up with the term gerrymander.
1: And people might remember that illustration from their American history textbooks. That is a a very famous picture from uh, the history of American politics and something that I think calls to mind. So maybe we'll put a link to that picture as well. Uh, describe these two cases that are before the Supreme Court. And, and I think it's interesting, too. We can get into this a little bit. But it's not just one party that is protesting the way that these districts have been drawn up. Is that correct?
0: That That's that's right. We've got one case of uh, Democrats suing uh, in a case out of North Carolina. And in a case out of Maryland, we have Republicans suing over the way the democratically controlled state legislature drew up the congressional districts there.
1: And isn't that interesting? Because this is certainly where the locus of political power resides, right, in the fact that state legislatures can decide how to allocate the districts. And certainly that has been a subject of discussion really from the founding of the country,
0: now that's true. The state legislatures control the line drawing in most of the states. The only, the only r- relatively recent change is there are a couple of states, uh, California is one, Arizona is another, where they've taken the power actually away from the state legislatures and have placed it in what they call independent redistricting commissions, although some people sometimes question just how independent, uh, those, those <laughs> commissions are. <laughs> uh, but the thing, the the thing about the line drawing for both state seats and congressional seats is that, is that uh, first of all, when it comes to state seats, for example, most states have either in their state constitution or in their, uh, their state laws, they have provisions saying that, um, uh, when the lines are being drawn, uh, you're supposed to, for example, try to keep counties and towns together. You know, you're trying to make the uh, the districts as compact as as possible. They have various rules like that. On the federal level, the courts have developed basically two claims you can make against uh, redistricting. One, uh, you can claim that it's discriminatory, racially discriminatory, under the Voting Rights Act, if race was too much of a consideration when the legislators were drawing the lines. And then the second concept that has been developed by the Supreme Court is the one-person, one-vote theory under the Equal Protection Clause. And under that, what the Supreme Court has said is when you're drawing up districts in a state, their populations have to be as equal as possible. You can't have one congressional district with a hundred thousand people in it and a second congressional district in the second state with three hundred thousand people in it because that's going to dilute the vote uh, of individuals. Their vote won't be um, uh, the same value as that of, of others in other districts. So the districts have to be as equal as possible. What these two cases are about is uh, the plaintiffs in these cases are trying to convince the court to recognize a third cause of action um, under the uh, U.S. Constitution, and it's partisan redistricting. They're trying to claim that if state legislators draw up uh, congressional districts that favor one political party, that that is a violation of the Constitution, both the First Amendment and the one-person, one-vote um, uh, provision in the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment. And up until now, Gail, the Supreme Court has refused uh, to do that.
1: Well, does the black-letter law of the Constitution speak to this at all?
0: No, no, it doesn't. And in fact, what's what's happening here is the the players in these cases are basically trying to convince the court to create uh, a constitutional violation out of for example the the 14th amendment and that's that's the problem with this whole theory uh, look um, we all complain about gerrymandered districts you know we complain yes. about the crazy lines <laughs> yeah. they draw and we we complain sometimes when the political parties may favor uh, themselves and incumbents but that doesn't mean you should create a federal right where it doesn't exist in the constitution to deal with this the way you deal with it is you you go into state legislatures and you convince them or th- through the referendum process to change the rules that govern how districts can be drawn up but that's not what the plaintiffs in this case are trying to do they're they're trying to create a new constitutional right where one doesn't exist and they're actually also trying to convince the court to to say that, that the Constitution requires proportional representation. Because in essence, look, here's the essence of their cases. The essence of their cases is that they're saying that if, for example, the Democratic Party um, has a presidential candidate in a particular state who gets, let's say, 60% of the vote, then they ought to be entitled to 60% of the state legislative seats and 60% of the congressional seats in that state. Well, you know, the problem with that is uh, you can look all through the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, it doesn't guarantee the political parties proportional representation. And, of course, a a presidential candidate might um, get, uh, for one party, well, maybe he or she gets 60% of the vote in one election in that state, but in the next election they may get a different amount. Or lots of people split their votes. They split their tickets. You know, sometimes they'll vote for, uh, a Republican, uh, for one office and a Democrat for another. How are you supposed to figure out what the correct proportion is? It, it's, it would cause chaos to recognize this as a, as a constitutional right, which is why I'm hoping the court listens to all these arguments and then says, this is a political thicket that we are not going to get into.
1: And that's what Paul Clement, who is arguing the case, talked about, right? That
0: yes, not that, only that, that's exactly right.
1: there's a problem with this in terms of the these cases themselves, but it will have a larger impact on the court's reputation uh for not getting involved in these types of political matters and maintaining the independence of the Supreme Court. Is that how, how kind of how he put it?
0: Yeah, no, that's exactly how he put it. Um Look, the the court already has complained about the fact that it gets flooded with redistricting cases under both the the Voting Rights Act and the Equal Protection Clause. Um, if they recognize a partisan partisan uh, gerrymandering as a constitutional violation, they will really get flooded with cases. And and Paul Clement, Paul Clement is a former Solicitor General of the United States. I think he is actually. I think he holds the record. I think he's he's argued more cases before the Supreme Court than any other single lawyer. That's um,
1: amazing.
0: Yeah, he he was representing the um, North Carolina legislature uh, in this case, and and here here's exactly what he said. He said, "Once you get into the political thicket, you will not get out, and you will tarnish the image of this court for the other cases where it needs that reputation for independence." so people can understand the fundamental difference between judging and all other politics. And look, the reason for that is, is uh, the, the Supreme Court already has reputational problems. And if it's choosing which political party gets to win in these redistricting cases, um, it, it's, it's really going to be opening up a Pandora's box of, of problems if it does that.
1: And Hans this is really a separation of powers issue at the yeah. at the foundation, correct?
0: Yeah, it is. That that's you know the last time the Supreme Court looked at this was about 15 years ago and it was a is a case out of Pennsylvania and it was a similar circumstances. The Democrats went to court and said they ought to get more of the congressional seats in the state because the Democratic presidential candidate had had gotten a bigger percentage of the vote. And back then, what happened was um, the the court threw out the case. Now, the four liberal justices on the court wanted to recognize this as a constitutional violation. Um, Four of the conservative justices, led by uh, Justice Scalia, said, look, this is a political question. This is something that the Constitution, line drawing, gives to the legislature. The courts should not be getting into the middle of this. Plus, there aren't any judicially manageable standards for trying to figure out when a violation would occur. Because in essence, they'd be saying, well, you can engage in some politics in line drawing, but if you engage in too much politics, you suddenly violate the Constitution. I I haven't trademarked this, Gail, but I call it the Goldilocks principle of redistricting. Yeah. A, little, a little politics is okay, but too much politics is not okay. It has to be somewhere in the in the middle. The the fifth vote that threw out this Pennsylvania case was uh, Justice Anthony Kennedy, and while he agreed that this particular case ought to be thrown out, he said, well, if somebody can come up with some judicially manageable standards, well, then I might recognize partisan redistricting as a violation of the Constitution. Of course, Justice Kennedy is gone, um, and I'm hopeful that the justices we have on the court now, the, the, five, uh, the five-member conservative majority, will realize this is really something they should not be getting into.
1: And when you're talking about particularly that concurring opinion by Justice Kennedy, he talks essentially saying if someone can come up with a manageable standard, I mean, doesn't that belie the entire principle of our judicial system? Is that unelected, life-tenured, uh, people who are they are appointed they are nominated they are confirmed but should they be coming up with quote man, manageable standards unquote to determine the most important part of self-governance who represents yeah. the voters
0: yeah no i think you've actually put your finger right on it that that really is a, a problem uh, look for all of those uh, for all the complaining we do about gerrymandering um, the the one thing that we can do as members of the public and voters is, look, if we don't like what state legislators have done in drawing new boundary lines, we can try to uh, vote them out of office. But if judges, federal judges, are the ones drawing up all these lines, there's nothing we can do about it. They're not accountable to us. Why? Because under our system, as you know, federal judges are appointed for life, and so that's why... Uh, the 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 process we have is is a very important one. Even even when legislators in, engage in gerrymandering that we don't like, well, at least we can do something about it. And look, the other answer to this, as I've said, is um, is change what the rules are governing how how redistricting uh, is is done in your particular state. I, I tell you something interesting, Gail, if I may. Um, yes that that shows you the danger of judges trying to impose uh, what they think today on what actually happened um, uh, in our history and that is in the North Carolina case the the lower court the federal judges said oh well partisan redistricting we think is a violation of the 14th amendment uh, the Equal Protection Clause and we certainly uh, uh, think that that's correct well The Public Interest Legal Foundation, which is a a great conservative group, um, they filed an amicus brief in the case in which they went back and they looked at the history of the 14th Amendment. People remember that's one of the Reconstruction Amendments. It was passed in uh, 1868. So what what the Public Interest Legal Foundation did is they went and they looked at the um, 1864 presidential election. And it turned out that Lincoln, as you know, beat George McClellan Yes, uh, but but in many of the states, uh, McClellan got um, uh, in the 40th percentile in his votes. You know, he got 45 percent, 49 percent. He he actually did very well.
1: That's a good so showing.
0: Yeah, and so then they took a look at well, what was the congressional representation from all of those states where McClellan did so well? In many of the states, Republicans held every single congressional seat. There wasn't a single Democrat <laughs> uh, member of Congress. Which what that means is is that the 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 members of Congress who wrote, sponsored, and voted for the Fourteenth Amendment uh, came from some of the most gerrymandered districts in our history. They they make today's gerrymanders look mild by comparison. There is no way that those legislators would have thought that they were passing uh, an amendment, the Fourteenth Amendment that would would, uh, cause the kind of gerrymandering that they engaged in to get their seats, that they would say that that violated the 14th Amendment.
1: And if people of the Republican Party and the Democratic Party think about this, it also limits their influence in their own party. Because, like you're saying, you have the opportunity to split a vote. Uh, between re- a Republican vote for one office, a Democrat vote for the other office, you have the ability to just vote for someone from the other party, as we saw, you know, most recently in the 2016 election. Uh, people cross party lines. This is not the Soviet Union, where everyone belongs to the Communist Party and you have to vote in lockstep. If if they even actually took the votes, but um, certainly, I think the parties themselves don't realize or the parties do but the the individual republicans and individual democratic voters they don't understand that if they advance this type of thinking that they're actually undercutting their power in their own party
0: oh no i think you're right and and look part of this is demonstrated by the fact that remember what 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 the challengers here are saying is that you know their political party ought to get uh, a share of the uh, congressional representation in the state that, for example, um, is the same ratio as their presidential candidate got. Well, well, that that kind of thing changes all the time. I mean, look at the compare the 2012 election to the 2016 election. In 2012, right. uh, Barack Obama won Michigan uh, and Pennsylvania. In 2016, Trump won those two states. So, what are they going to do? Uh, change out the congressional seat ratio between the Republican and Democratic Party from election to election? I mean, it, it there's just it, it, what they're trying to this theory they're trying to push is just not practical either.
1: Well, and I think that's a great. Uh, finer distinction on this as well, because the presidential elections occur every four years, the House seats are up every two years. So when this happens, are you going to kick people out? Or are you going to, I mean, by the time you get the data and you like rearrange everything, it seems like it's never going to, it's never really going to affect, reflect what people in, you know, nine black-robed justices in Washington, D.C. think should be correct. So maybe the reason there is no manageable standard, even apart from the fact that it's a bad idea, is because there, there cannot be a manageable standard.
0: Oh, no, I think that's exactly right. By, by the way, in, uh, in a prior case that made it to the Supreme Court um, last year, it was a case out of Wisconsin making the same kind of claims. Um, they're a bunch of of law professors. They came up with what they said was, oh, yeah, here's the the standard. We have this thing called the efficiency test. (laughs) (laughs) And their test basically, what they said was um, every vote in a district that's more than the candidate needed to win is a wasted vote, and therefore the district should be redrawn. So in other words, if if somebody got fifty-five percent of the vote in a congressional district and won, according to these prof- law professors, five that five percent that they got over fifty percent plus one, that those were wasted votes, <laughs> and that district ought to be redrawn so those voters are put elsewhere. It, it was, I, I think, uh, uh, again a crazy theory, but heck, they they convinced a the lower court to to agree with it.
1: I think that sp- sounds suspiciously like an algorithm, which we're seeing in a lot of Twitter, yep. Facebook discussions and controversies now. Why anyone would think that that was a good idea, I just can't even
0: imagine. No, it, in fact, it was an algorithm, and uh, I, I agree with you. It's just a, a very bad idea.
1: So you have been a longtime court watcher, particularly in this area, based on your expertise. What do you see in the tea leaves?
0: You know, I, Judge Kavanaugh was pretty quiet during the uh, oral arguments in these cases. Um, I think what's going to happen is I think we're I think we actually, and I'm hopeful, we will get a five-member solid majority that says uh, partisan redistricting is not a violation of the Constitution. And I, I'm hoping we will get a decision finally that will end all these cases uh, that keep getting filed across the country, pushing, pushing this idea, and and I think, you know, part of it is just a proper interpretation of the Constitution and the Fourteenth Amendment. But I think that the justices will be pushed in that direction because of the fact that, as I've said, that they know that if they recognize this as a possible cause of action, they will be. Flooded and the federal courts all over the country will be flooded with uh, new lawsuits claiming that not just congressional line drawing, but state legislative line drawing, county commission seats, city council seats uh, have been done in a partisan manner. And, and the courts will, will, it'll be like, uh, we'll need a Noah's Ark <laughs> to ride out the litigation, the redistricting litigation that will be filed all over the country.
1: And that's because I think, well, actually, I didn't even know this. It is part of the Supreme Court's mandatory jurisdiction, meaning they are required to consider these cases. Is that is that how you would explain it?
0: Yes. Yes, uh, it is, particularly under the Voting Rights Act. So, uh, boy, they, they think they see a lot of redistricting cases now. Just just wait and see what happens if they recognize this as a, as a valid cause of action.
1: I think it's also really important to underscore that if the court decides in the way that you predict that it will, five, at least five, uh, to not try to strike down politics in, uh, this type of district drawing, the Republican party will lose and the Democratic party will lose because they each have a case contesting this. And that seems like the, the complete example of independence.
0: Oh yeah, no no again. I think I think you've you've put your thumb right on that that point. It's a very important point. Oh oh by the way, something else I, <laughs> I wanted to mention because I thought it was kind of kind of funny is um y- you know, part of the arguments that have been made by the challengers is that uh the founding fathers uh when they drew the constitution intended to prevent partisan gerrymandering and that's why the court should get into it. Um and uh Paul Clement uh, reminded them that in fact uh, the 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 framing generation, the the folks who framed the Constitution, they understood partisan gerrymandering. In fact, uh, James Madison was the intended target of a partisan gerrymander in uh, Virginia by Patrick Henry. You know, one of the most famous uh, uh, famous heroes of the Revolution. He complained about it bitterly, and so did George Washington. But neither of them. Um, thought about, uh, even thought about going to federal court to claim that this uh, couldn't be done under, under the Constitution.
1: I think that's a great point because you can be upset about a decision or circumstances and yet not make a federal case out of it.
0: No, that's exactly right. And in fact, I think part of what is going on here, uh, e- even though the challengers don't want to admit it, is th- the actions they're engaging in are anti-democratic. Because what they're saying is, look, we we're that we were the political losers in the political arena. Uh, we can't convince the state legislature to make the changes we want. so we want to go to the courts and get the courts to to do it. And that goes against the very democratic process we have in the in the Republic that was set up under the Constitution.
1: How do you think the current political climate influences? The evaluation of this case, and by that I mean all of the um, uh, disparagement that has been heaped on the current administration, the grid, what they call gridlock in Congress. Although that's part of why we have our system designed this way, is to to promote gridlock in a sense. Uh, do you think that that will play into the Supreme Court's decision at all? Which you know, you and I, with our similar judicial philosophies don't think that that should obviously but do you think it will
0: well I hope that it won't on the other hand we have seen uh look Chief Justice Roberts John Roberts comes under a lot of criticism um on many cases involving election issues he actually comes down the right way he definitely came down the wrong way in the Obamacare decision and All of the indications, uh, the stories written about it uh, seem to indicate that he came down the wrong way uh, because he was afraid of the political consequences of uh, uh, throwing out Obamacare. If that's true, that's a bad thing because the justices should be making their decisions based on the Constitution and politics should not be regarded by them at all when they're making those decisions. So I look, I don't know what to tell you. I, I, I hope they come down the right way on this. And I hope, um, the politics of the moment and the complaints that people have about gerrymandering all over the country. I I hope that doesn't influence them influences them to go the wrong way.
1: Are there any other cases that you're watching this term?
0: Well, the big case coming up, uh, Gail, as you know, is, um, the, the the census case. Um, as you know, the Trump administration announced that they were adding uh, a citizenship question back onto the census. They were reinstating it. And there were a number of lawsuits filed. And one of those uh, lawsuits has made it to the US Supreme Court. It's going to be argued April 23rd, And the court is going to decide, can a citizenship question be added back into the census?
1: Do you have a prediction on that?
0: Uh, Yes, I, I actually think the court is going to overturn the lower court decisions that went against the government and joined the Trump administration from uh, to get in. I, I think this will be similar to the travel ban cases where all these very liberal uh, lower court judges joined the government when it got up to Supreme Court. The Supreme Court rules for the Trump administration and said this is fully within the authority of the government to do, and I think it, it'll be the same here
1: speaking of those lower court judges who are creating a lot of uh case law in opposition to uh, settled principles and continue to do so president trump has been moving full steam ahead putting nominees in these lower courts do you think that the senate is doing a good job in making sure that these nominees get hearings before the committees and get their votes and uh, are able to be confirmed to the lower courts which as you and I know so well, so many of these cases are decided at the lower courts and the Supreme Court does not have the capacity or it's not designed that way to review every single decision by lower courts. So a lot of these bad decisions stand until uh, there's a split in the circuit or until enough of them percolate up that the Supreme Court decides that they want to engage whatever issue it is.
0: Well, I think that when it comes to getting these folks approved, I think the Senate is doing a good job. The problem is they're not moving fast enough. Um, they're They're moving too slowly. Uh, <laughs> you know we complain about it. you know, Senators have like a two day work week um, and they don't like uh, spending more time on the floor. Well, they they, they need to up their game. Uh, they need to be there. Uh, for full weeks, every week, and they need to be getting as many of these um, judicial nominees through as possible. And look, we're talking about judicial nominees. There are over 100 vacancies in the federal court. Uh, w- w- there are also um, a huge number of executive branch nominees also yes. sitting there, and they are uh, just moving too slow, the Senate's moving just too slowly in getting them through and, and approved. They, they ought to be approving a couple of people a day, uh, and that just hasn't been done.
1: Do you think that should be the Senate's focus, given that with the House controlled by the Democratic majority, probably a lot of, not a lot of legislation uh, or game-changing legislation is going to get passed through both chambers of Congress and land on President Trump's desk. So should uh, confirming the nominees be the top priority of the Senate right now?
0: Yes, the the top, that's exactly right. Uh, they can't get anything good uh, out of Congress because of the House. So the Senate has the sole job of confirming people. So that, that, that should be their number one top priority. Their second priority ought to be uh, killing and stopping any of the bad bills coming out of the House.
1: Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Hans, for joining us. If people want to follow you on Twitter, what is your handle?
0: Uh, H. Von Spakovsky, and uh, they can uh, also see my stuff at heritage.org, heritage.org.
1: We really appreciate you joining us to talk about this, Hans.
0: Sure, Gail, anytime.
1: This is Gail Trotter. You can like me on Facebook. You can follow me on Twitter. You can follow me on Instagram. Please subscribe to my YouTube channel. You can subscribe to this podcast Right in DC on iTunes and you can leave a review. Most importantly, you can support this podcast on Patreon. We have great t-shirts as gifts for patrons courtesy of Hard Hits Custom Apparel. We would like to thank Trio Caliente, a local DC group, for the music on the podcast. This is Right in DC.
0: You're right in D.C. with Gail Trotter.